Yeah, he said it might be muted. He's trying to blame me because it's muted. And all he said to me is, open your mouth and talk. That's all you got to do. <laughs> and then he said, it got muted like I did it. See, <laughs> sound man. I can't get along with sound man anymore. Just kidding. But anyway, thank you, Brother Charles, for the praying prayer. I, it's very blessed, very much a blessing. It's good for us to be here, too. My wife is sitting back there. They brought in a special chair uh, for her. Uh, why? I don't know, just they gave her a special chair. She had a hip replacement here a while back, and so maybe that has, is that what she was thinking about, Pastor, or something like that? Yeah, she doesn't like the color of that chair, though. Could, could you get a different one? I'm just kidding. All right, let's go in our Bibles to the 139th Psalm, if you would. Psalm 139, and we're definitely looking forward to uh, the meeting this week. I'm going to say this again uh, in the preaching hour, but... I'm going to just inform you right now, you're here for Sunday school, and so you care uh, to read this afternoon Genesis 27 and 28. We're going to start a series tonight on the, the life of Jacob, and it's not just going to be a little character study. We're going to do some, there's some revival preaching there. And so if you read Genesis 27 and 28 this afternoon, uh, when you come to church tonight, it could knock off 10 or 15 minutes from the sermon. It probably won't, but it could. If, you, if everybody just make yourself familiar with that and uh, get, in the, get, get started on that, we're going to be in the book of Genesis this week. All right, we're in the 139th Psalm this morning. Sure do thank the Lord for the privilege and the invitation to come back to Canaan Baptist. We've had uh, good fellowship since the first time we were here five years ago, six years ago. I can't remember exactly uh, when it was. And I can't believe the pastor's been here, what, uh, since 14, nine years already. Amazing just how time's flying by. And uh, one of the things we really appreciate too is the new friend that we got in Canaan Baptist Church at Heartland Baptist Bible College. And this church in terms of the students that have come and the people that have been involved and have uh, been behind the behind us and the work and the financial support has been a great blessing. So we're very, very thankful for that as well. Now, if you're in the 139th Psalm, uh, let's start reading the first uh, in this Psalm. Let's just read the first five verses to begin with. And then we're going to focus in a little bit later on, on where I really am wanting to go what I want to emphasize, but it'll take us a while to get there. So look in verse number one through five. The psalmist, uh, Psalm of David, he says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Now let's pause right there for just a minute, if I can have your attention. Um, I'm trying to, or I tried to read it in such a way that we are emphasizing the personal pronoun where David says me and my and mine and me and my and mine. 
Uh, just so you'll know, if you go through all 24 verses of this psalm, you'll find that he uses the personal pronoun 45 times. Me, my, mine, I, me, my, mine, I. You put this in the hands of an unlearned person, they might think David would fit just fine in our culture right here in the United States because it's all about him. Me, my, I, me, my, I, mine, on and on. Just the personal pronoun over and over and over. But that's not what he's doing. Uh, it might get uh, past you if you're not careful, that he also refers to God 25 times, referring to thee or thou or to the Lord. And so he makes reference to him 25 times. So far from David trying to make everything about himself, verse number six really opens up what he is trying to do or what we're supposed to get out of it when he is talking about the personal nature of God knowing me, my, mine, I, Look in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. So far from David thinking it should be all about him, he is standing in utter awe and marveling at the fact that God is mindful of him. Now, I was um, sitting on an airplane here, I don't know, six, seven years ago, something like that. And uh, so I'm sitting on the aisle, a young lady came and sat in the middle, and somebody else is sitting over against the window. And so I got up and let her in, and I tried to be courteous and everything, and nice, and I already had my Bible out. And uh, so anyway, as we kind of had small talk there, then I asked her if she reads the Bible and started talking to her, you know where this is going, to find out about her soul. And she said, oh, yes, I'm, I'm very much into, into that, very much. And uh, so when I started talking to her then about her soul and when, at what point did she trust Jesus to be her Savior, I'm talking about a whole different attitude came over that girl. And the next thing you know, she is angry with me for talking to her about her personal, such a personal matter and, uh, and that she did not even believe that there was such a thing as personal salvation, didn't believe in a heaven necessarily, didn't believe in hell, didn't believe in any of that. And I just thought, whoa, she went from being a firm, staunch, yes, sir, I, I read that, I'm into that, to angry at me. Well, then she said, uh, I, I am a student of or a disciple of Paul Tillich. Now, uh, your brother uh, said, uh, oh my, right there. Well, Paul Tillich was a German philosopher, a German theologian, a Lutheran theologian. And Paul Tillich was of that um, German rationalism, uh, one of the leaders of it, German rationalism, along with another, another guy by the name of Nietzsche. Maybe you've heard of him. And I don't, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing any, either of those names right. But anyway, those German guys. Uh, that were into what's called German rationalism. So what she said to me was that she believed what Tillich taught, that if there is a God, he is not a personal God. He is, uh, he is so uh, indifferent to what we know as the creation. And uh, so she, didn't, she said, I, I don't believe in a personal God at all or a personal salvation or a personal any of that. It's up to you and the kind of life you lived and on and on and on and on. 
And so we got into this big discussion about that till she got so angry that she threatened. I mean, I, I wasn't even arguing. I wasn't mad. I was trying to be a gentleman. I mean, I can be a jerk, I know, but I, I really wasn't being. I, I was trying to be very polite and nice and such as that. And the next thing is she threatened to call a flight attendant to tell her to make me leave her alone. I said, oh, you don't need to do that. I'll leave you alone. All you got to do. And so I thought, my goodness. And so what she's saying is what a lot of people now believe. I mean, it's, it's very popular. What that uh, theology that she was talking about leads to is what we know as existentialism. Now, I'm not trying to just lay big words on us here. But if you're not familiar with the term, existentialism means that actually um, there is no absolute, there are no absolutes, there is no authority from the Bible or God to tell us what to do or not to do, and that Tillich's philosophy was that basically being is God. Now you might hear that and say, it doesn't make a bit of sense in the world. Oh, oh, good night. This is a deep thinker, don't you know? Uh, being is God. Just the fact there is existence or being or that you exist or you be, that's God. So then you determine what is right and what is wrong. Come on, you know, you know the culture we're living in. Where did all this stuff come from? Well, it's more than just something that popped up the other day. You understand? I mean, this is a, this is a philosophy that has been taught and that has been brewing. I mean, it, it fits right along with evolution. It fits right along with atheism. It fits right along with the agnostics. It fits along with the secularists. And all of this leave God out of the picture. And if there is such a thing as God, then we define God according to our own desire and our own will. And we are the ones that make the determination what is right and what is wrong. So with that permeating our society and the world, I asked the question, how are we doing? Not so good. It's not so good. And to the contrary, we understand in this psalm and throughout the Word of God that God not only is, it's not just existence and being that is God. God is, God not only is, but God in Him we live and move and have our being and that God is not only the great wonderful creator God of everything that is, but he is very, very personal. Amazing. There are 7 billion people in the world. And here's what, uh, here's what David said. Uh, oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me and you know my down sitting and you know my uprising. So he's talking about the very personal nature of God how that though there be seven billion or double that, it doesn't really matter, that God is and that God is a personal God. And I think this point is very important, that whatever is true of David and God would be true of every other person and God. In other words, you can read the Bible from cover to cover. You won't come up with anything that'll make you think, well, uh, God knew David personally, of course. I mean, David was a very significant individual. I mean, isn't he one of the heroes of the Bible and the Psalms and, and the life of David and the King David and the throne of David and Jesus known as the son of David? See, David was a very, 
a very special individual. Yeah, well, okay, he was a shepherd boy the first time we met him. Is everybody with me here? He, he was a shepherd boy when we met him. And somebody said, but David was a very uh, specially used by God. He was also a rascal. I don't know if you studied his life or not. I preached a whole, I think, I don't know, 15, 20 sermons on the life of David. And by the time I got done, I was almost wishing I hadn't done it. Because he's one of my heroes too. But my soul, this guy had some issues now, didn't he? I mean, I don't have to bring him up to this crowd. But this man had some real issues in his life. And so I want to know what is different about David than you. Well, okay, David was chosen to be king. But he marveled at that. When he was right with God, he marveled at that as much as anybody. How could this shepherd boy, the youngest of his father's house, how could he ascend to the throne of Israel? How could he have all of this? And so what we read of David here, that God is mindful of him at a, at a very personal level. See, and, and here's where a lot of the problem is. Low thoughts of God. People have low thoughts of God. That's become an increasing problem, not only in humanity, but in our own culture, in our own society. Lower thoughts of God. I was born in the year 1945. I'm 78. Let's get this out of the way, shall we? And so uh, I was born in the year of 1945. And in my upbringing, this culture as a whole had a different idea Amen. and different thinking about God than the culture of, of 2023. That's for sure. I mean, there's no question about that. And thoughts of God have come down and down and down and down. Read anybody study society of social issues and that follows the, the, uh, the, the uh, surveys and the scientific research that's taken place over how people think about matters like this, about God, about Jesus, about heaven, the authority of the Bible and all of this. And you'll see that it just has been on a perpetual, dis a continued decline, uh, which it still is to this very day. So low thoughts of God, then low thinking of God, then people don't really think of him as a personal God or that he is mindful of me or cares about me. And I'm just telling you on the authority of the word of God that there is no difference between you and David in terms of the awareness and the knowledge of God. God is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nowhere he isn't. He inhabits eternity. He is the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. I'm just saying, God is high above the nations, his glory above the heavens. We could just go on and on about how the Bible describes the high and lofty nature of God. But rather than most pulpits uh, exalting and lifting up, the high and lofty nature of God, it's more like, let's bring him down because people don't relate in this day and time. I mean, you know, this is a very intelligent society and people are educated now and they can't relate to something, someone so high and lofty, so the effort to bring God down. Well, I'm just telling you, all the sissified men standing behind pulpits trying to accommodate the culture and society, they're not going to change God. He is who and what he is, and he is the high and lofty one. And David said, this is almost, well, not almost, this is more than I can get my mind around. I cannot comprehend it. I cannot attain to it that he knows me. And he knows my downsitting and my uprising. 
Uh, I can hear people, not, not necessarily you, but I can hear people out there. Yeah, like God knows when I'm sitting down and when I'm standing up. Well, like he doesn't. Of course he does. Why would he know that? Because there's nothing he doesn't know. And there's no one he doesn't know. He knows you just like he knew David on a person. What David said, you and I can say, he knows me. He knows my thoughts afar off. He knows every word. Now, some of this stuff is scary. He knows every, my thoughts afar off. Uh, how would you like for everybody to know your thoughts? Okay, we won't go there then. Uh, or, or he knows what's on my tongue before I even utter it. How would you like for everybody to know that? A fool speaks all of his mind, but a wise man saves it till later, is what the scripture says. But God knows either way. He knows everything. I'm, I'm just saying, everything that is here about David is also true of you and true of me. Amen. He is that personal a God. That's him. And it goes on down through the passage here. And it talks about even, you know, the uh, part we like to talk about when uh, we're dealing with the matter of abortion. We're down there in verse number 23. says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. He's talking about the personal nature of God all the way down. And so I want to say to you today that God knows you. And we can walk up to anybody in this city, state, nation, world, and say the same thing to them. God knows you. He is not this impersonal being that is far too preoccupied with other things to care about this little creation here. No, that's not how God's revealed himself. I'm just telling you, if we don't accept the revelation that God has made of himself, and he has revealed himself, not only on the page of this book, but also in the living word, Jesus Christ, God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he's also made himself known in creation itself. And so we begin with the idea that God is a very personal God. He knows you. He knows me. Think about it. He knows me. I was having a, a wonderful prayer time here some time ago and a few months ago. And uh, I was just, uh, as, as I was uh, on my face and I was uh, praying to the Lord, I don't know, it's just like you have those special times, you know, when it's just like you know the Lord is here. And I got to thinking about this. I am in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Not everybody looks at Oklahoma City or Oklahoma as the hub of what's going on in this world. No. That was sarcasm. Some of you are really, you're, you're a little behind. But it, not, not everybody looks at Oklahoma to, uh, to try to find out what's real, you know, and what's happening. And that's not how people look at our state. So I'm in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is a metro area of about a million three, somewhere right in there, in the metro area. And so I'm thinking about the retirement house that my wife and I moved into about three years ago. And, and I'm thinking about that neighborhood. And I, I, I'm thinking to myself, here I am in Oklahoma City in this one little house among thousands of homes in the metro area there. And uh, I'm in my office there by myself. And, and uh, in that little house, there's 80-some houses in our, 
in our neighborhood there for retirement folks. And so we're, I'm in this house and I'm in Oklahoma and Oklahoma is one of the, the lower 48 in the United States of America. We're one of 130 some countries in the world. There's 330 million people in the United States and here I am in Oklahoma. There's 4,000,000.2 people in the state of Oklahoma and here I am there and, and I'm just there. And then in the world, there's 7 billion people. And while I'm there, I'm aware he's here. Amen. I'm not thinking about anything spooky. I didn't hear any voices. The room didn't shake or Amen. anything like that. Lights didn't flash. I was just spending time with God and the Holy Spirit bears witness. I'm here. My glory is above the heavens. I inhabit eternity and I'm here. To know his presence, <laughs> that's meaningful. He's here. So a few years ago, I got a note from a lady in a church in Tampa, Florida. Uh, she's a member of Westgate Baptist Church there. She's since gone to be with the Lord. She was, when she wrote the note, in a battle with cancer, and eventually then she went on to be with the Lord at a young age of 41, 42 years old, something like that. And she wrote me notes often. She wrote them to my wife and me, and she did this with preachers that passed through there. And uh, so she communicated not just with me, but she wrote me a note and uh, said, Brother Sam, uh, I, and she marked the verses we're going to consider here in just a moment. And she said, these verses are very meaningful to me. And I'm sending them to you. I've got the card in my room at the hotel. And so she said, I'm sending this to you because you need to preach this. And she said, I want you to preach it. So did you? Well, not right away, but I'm used to doing what women tell me to do. So I knew eventually I would. And so I put it in there. And then eventually I was going through, you know, I was, maybe it was between series or something. And plus there was an event going on with a family in our church where they had a child in crisis and such as that. And so I was just shuffling through my desk and the stack of things I keep of things I want to consider sooner or later. Usually I'm preaching through a book and a series. And so I was looking for that, and I found Susie's card. And so I read that card, and I don't know, it just seemed like the right thing to do. So that was a Wednesday morning, and that day I prepared a lesson, a sermon, out of the 139th Psalm. And she said, you, you need to preach this. <laughs> and so I got to looking at the part she emphasized, which is verse 17 and 18. Would you look at it, please? Verse 17 and 18. In this setting of God being this personal God to David and to whoever. And he says to David, or God say, David says to God, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. Let's stop right there, shall we? David said, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. Now think about that for just a moment. Here is David. Granted, he became the king. But he knew where he came from. Uh, he, he knew where he stood in the line of sons of Jesse. Uh, he knew what his life was like 
before God uh, moved upon him in the Goliath matter, and then to lead armies against the Philistines and the enemies, and then ultimately to become king. He knew where he came from. And he said, how precious also are thy thoughts to me. And so what Susie wanted to point out is that God not only is mindful of us, but that he has thoughts of us, and his thoughts toward us are precious thoughts. Now, somebody said, no, that's how God felt about David. Right. And you can't read the Bible and find anything that would convince you or convince anyone that God doesn't think about you in the same manner as he thought about David. That he had precious thoughts toward him. And I want to submit to you this morning that no matter who you are or who we might talk to out there, that God, who is God, has thoughts to you and they are precious thoughts, <laughs> which is amazing, utterly amazing. Does it matter to you if you get a, a text? It used to be a card. I don't know how Hallmark stays in business anymore. But anyway, did it mean anything to you when you get a text or like when you used to get a card or maybe a phone call? And somebody that you esteem in your life calls and says, hey, I, I don't, nothing in particular, just wanted to call and say hi, let you know I'm thinking about you, I prayed for you today, I've been thinking about you, I had you on my mind, and I just thought I'd let you know, card, text, phone call, somehow, they let you know I'm thinking about you. And, and you value that person's relationship. Does that mean anything to you? Amen. And Sandra and I have spent a lot of time apart during uh, the years that, We've been married, been married 57 years, and so we spend a lot of time apart. Now, Sandra is not a real uh, touchy-feely, uh, emotional person uh, such as that. I'm, I'm more that way than she is. And I'm, this isn't a criticism. She's just who and what I've needed all these years. So she's not big on saying, I'm just thinking about you, stuff like that. So I remember one time before cell phones and all of that, uh, she would always have the hotel I was in, the room I was in, and then we'd plan our conversations and everything. Because why? Well, phone calls used to cost a lot of money. They still do, just not the same way that they used to when that would add up because of the long-distance calls. And so it's like 2.33 in the afternoon, something like that. My phone rings, and I thought, well, who even knows I'm here besides her and the secretary at the church? So I pick up the phone, and uh, I said, hello, and it was her. And I thought, oh, my, I wonder what's wrong. <laughs> and I said, what's going on, babe? She said, nothing. Well, well you, you called. And I, she said, well, I just wanted to say hi. I miss you. And I just wanted to tell you I miss you and I love you. I was just thinking about you. And we talked a minute. I hung up the phone. I walked around the room like this. <laughs> You know, now, she doesn't even remember that. She said, she thinks, she's sitting right there now thinking I'm making this up. It actually happened. And I remember it. And I thought, man, that's, that's pretty neat. You know, I like that. You've had stuff like that happen. Okay, maybe it wasn't your wife. You need to shape up. And maybe she'll call you once in a while. But, but you've had things like that happen. Does it mean anything to you look in the Word of God? And for somebody to take this passage and look you in the eye and say, God thinks about you. 
And then just think about you as precious thoughts Amen. towards you. And we know what precious means. That's my precious wife. I got to do all I can to keep things smooth here. But that's my <laughs> precious wife sitting back there. We have three precious children. That moves to another level when you talk about the grandchildren. <laughs> precious. And great-grandchildren. We have five of them now. They're, they're precious to us. What does that mean? We value them. They mean a great deal to us. That's what it means. And God has precious thoughts toward his people. And so many songs have to do with uh, you feel all alone and you're down in the valley and things are bad. And sometimes I wish somebody would sing about victory in Jesus or something like that. Because some, some, sometimes you can go to church and if you're not discouraged, you can be in a few minutes because all the songs have to do with the fact you're down in the valley and you're low and you're all alone and nobody knows you or remembers you. And, uh, and th not all the songs are that way, I'm just saying. It. Sometimes it seems like it. And, and so God has these thoughts toward you that are what? Precious, Precious thoughts. Precious thoughts. He means good for us. Amen. I said he means good for your Amen. life. He means good for our lives. Yes. And he's, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Amen. That's what the Bible says. And, and so God has precious thoughts, even toward those that don't know him and that reject him. God would save them with a heart that would believe and trust in his son and confess and acknowledge their sin. He would save them. God has precious thoughts toward us. Valuable. They mean a lot to us. I have on this watch right here that um, I only wear on Sundays or preaching stuff. You know, it's a dress watch. And this, I, I mean, I have a few watches, but this one is precious to me. Means it is of special value. Now what? Well, it's a Movado. When I got it, I had no idea what Movado. I didn't know Movado from Bravado or none of it. I had no idea. And they gave me this watch, and I thought, oh, that's a beautiful watch. I really like that. And then I didn't realize till later we were walking through a Dillard's or somewhere like that, and I looked in the watch case, and I told Sandra, there, there's my watch right there. And I looked on the price tag of that thing. It was over 800 bucks. Mm -hmm. I thought, good night. <laughs> and all it's got is a little dot up there. They didn't even put anything on. They didn't even finish the face of it. You know, there's nothing there but hands and that one little dot. 800 bucks. Well, it's got gold here and gold in the band and stuff like that. And so I'd never pay that kind of money for a watch, but... The people that gave it to me did. And uh, so this watch is precious, though. But what makes it precious is what's engraved on the back. My initials, SSD. 1974 to 1990, the years I pastored the Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater, Oklahoma. 1974 to 90, Bible Baptist Church. That's what's on it. That's why it's precious to me. The people that gave it to me. Right. I, I love it. I appreciate it. I think of them every time I put it on. I think of the 16 years that God gave us there. People we never wanted to leave to begin with. And love their pastor. Knows about the church. You probably heard him mention it. Maybe you, the Hardys have been here, I'm sure. And yeah, it's a wonderful place. Even Dave McCracken couldn't mess it up if you know who he was. He <laughs> pastored after me. And, uh, but no, it's, it's, this is so precious to me. 
Somebody said, well, why would I be precious to God? Why would you be precious to God? You know what God did to make you his? Amen. Not just his creation, yes. his child, yes. his own. It was the what? What kind of blood of Jesus was it? Yes. It was the precious blood of Christ. Amen. That was the price that paid for my salvation and for your salvation. And the next time the adversary comes along and tells you nobody cares about you and everybody's forgotten you and nobody knows you and, and who really cares where you are and what's going on in your life, you might just answer back on the authority of the Word of God Amen. that my God is thinking about me and, and on His authority I call Him my Father Amen. and on His authority I am called His child and He has thoughts to me and His thoughts to me are precious and the fact that I am precious to Him is made evident by the fact that He gave His Son to shed His precious blood to pay for my sins and somebody's asking, how could I be precious to God? That's how, right there. You're not here by existence. I don't mean just in this room. I'm talking about living. You don't live just by chance or by happenstance. God is behind it. God is in it. And God cares about you. And if you're in this room and you know that you've never been saved, I'm just saying he's willing to save you. He will save you. And those of us that are saved, how selfish and and, uh, close-minded are we when we get to thinking only about ourselves and forget the fact that God has precious thoughts toward me. Now, why should I go around in an attitude of defeat and negativism and criticism and all of that? Why should I live like that when He has precious thoughts to me? Amen. Wow. If you're sitting there saying, I'm not, I'm not convinced, well, this next one is really going to mess you up then. Look on in verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. Look at this. How great is the sum of them. It's not like I think of you once in a while. How great is the sum of them. Well, I don't know. How great is the sum of them? Well, verse 18. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. Oh, good grief. More in number than the sand. My wife and I were in uh, uh, Oregon here a while back, and we were, uh, I was preaching in North Bend, Oregon. If you've ever been there, uh, just north of North Bend, Oregon, along the coast there, uh, Coos Bay, North Bend, right there together, there's this massive hills out there of sand. And so they have sand uh, dune buggy races and stuff like that. It's quite an attraction for people that are into that. And there's just sand. Well, then you go from places like that to the desert, which we've driven across the desert a couple times this summer. So you you go across the desert and how much sand do you see? And then you go to the shore of lakes and of of the oceans and the, the gulf and you see the sand that's there. And then you read this. Well, he said, basically what he is saying is not that we have to know how many grains of sand there are and he exceeds that. I'm sure there's some computer Greek somewhere, a geek that's got it all figured out on how many grains of sand there are. But I'm just saying that's ridiculous, ridiculous to think about. Well, all God is saying is, can you number the sand of the sea or the sand that's in the world? No, you cannot. Okay, he said, you won't even know how to number the thoughts that I have towards you. And somebody says, 
Well, how could God have met many thoughts about me? Hold on just a second. I'm where you are. I'm very limited in my thinking. I'm probably more limited than many of you right here in my ability to comprehend, in my ability to think. I don't know. We're talking about the eternal God. And, and when people look at the eternal God and try to just make him like us, only bigger and better, that's a sad, terrible mistake. Because he is not like us, only bigger and better. He is totally other than us, which is what his holiness means. That God is completely other than all of his creation. And so for us to try to sit here and comprehend in these limited, finite minds how God could have thoughts that are impossible to number about every one of us. If you're trying to figure that out, you're on a dead-end road, friend, because your mind, like mine, is limited, and we can only think so far. So, so I don't know, but I can't believe. I do believe. I believe God has thoughts toward you. They're precious thoughts. Yep, that's what it says. Precious. And they are numerous. <laughs> Not passing. So on the way here, my wife got my phone and she started looking. We was looking for some contact. And then she said, why do you have this person here? They went to heaven 14 years ago or something like that, you know, whenever it was. And they're, they're still in your deal. I said, well, I don't know. So then as we're driving down the road, she just started going through all of my contacts, 1,100 and some of them. And how many of them are already gone from this life is just amazing to both of us. And, and so we're going through all of those. And then we, she came to some that says, do you know this one? And how many names were there? I don't, even, I don't even remember the name. I have no idea why they're in my contacts. I, I can't keep up with that many people. My wife and I have worked hard at learning names and knowing people and such as that, our students and church members and all of that. And so we've worked hard at that. And so the reputation gets around. If you don't know them, go ask Brother Sam. He knows everybody. I don't know everybody. <laughs> Once you tell him your name, he never forgets. I have made a fool of myself. I don't know how many times. That's how it's helped me remember. Willing to look bad, you know. And, and I, I'm not like that. God is. God knows. Amen. Precious thoughts. More. And they're numerous. More than can be numbered. Amen. More than we can even imagine. Excuse me just a second. That being so... Do you really think it's possible to take matters that are too small for God to give attention to? Why should I take this to God? I mean, this, everybody deals with this. Do you think there's any issues of your life that he's not aware of? Or are there any issues, really, that it's okay for you to take it into your own hands instead of taking it to him? Well, it just seems like such a small matter. To whom? To whom? Well, I mean, you know, you, maybe you listened to too many old country songs that said, God, I know you're busy and you don't have time for me and stuff like that. Well, maybe you ought to quit listening to that kind of stuff because uh, you're, there goes people thinking about God like us. I don't have time to talk to you. No, that's not where God is. Personal. And he cares. And he has precious thoughts. 
that are more than we even know how to number. And there's one more little item here. If you look down at verse 18, if I should count them, they're more than number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with thee. God's still there. God's still there. You go to sleep at night, maybe you've carried some kind of a burden, and you know, I need, I'm trying to give this to the Lord, and you go to sleep that night, and you wake up the next day, He's still there. Amen. It's called immutable. Amen. His immutability. God never changes. His son Jesus, what? Same yesterday, and today, and forever. That's God. He cannot be other than who He is. He cannot be other than what He is. God cannot change. He cannot deny himself. You and I have changes. Come on. We change through the course of life. We come here after, what is it, a couple of years ago. I think we were here and I see the pastor's kids and I think, oh boy, these kids are changing fast. And they do, don't they? All of the children, they just change. And then you go through life. Uh, my wife has said, and we've talked about this and I've preached on it, that a man is supposed to dwell with his wife according to knowledge. Well, something I didn't allow for till I was well into it was that it's a continual learning process because she keeps changing. She's a teenage girl when I met her. She was barely out of her teens when we got married at age 20. And then she goes, becomes a mother and things change. And then she becomes a grandmother and loses her mind completely. And then, I mean, just keep going through these changes in life. And we change. And sometimes our changes aren't good. Sometimes they are willful, wrong choices, and we change. And you see somebody that's growing in the Lord, and you say, man, isn't that exciting? And then you see somebody that's backsliding, and isn't that sad? People change. Come on, we have our ups and downs, don't we? We sure do. God never, never, ever changes. When I awake, I'm still with thee. God, you're still there. Nothing changes. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> as much as our culture and society tries to push him out, I like to preach it. He ain't going anywhere. He's who he is. He's there. And it was this line of thought. I'm going to skip a few verses, but we could get them in there except for time. I'm not even going to try. But look at verse 19 down through uh, 22. We could deal with that, but I'm not going to. I want you to look down to verse 23. You recognize these words. Here how it closes. This being so, God's care for his own, his personal care for you. Search. Here's, here's how the psalmist concluded. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Can we just kind of reduce this down to a simple statement here? David is saying, knowing this, understanding what he had just written, believing what he had just written, he concludes like this. I'm all yours. Amen. Take me. Search me. Try me. I'm yours. I want things to be right. I want you to have my life. Amen. Isn't that where all of us are supposed to live? Amen. Right there. Amen. Search me, O oh God. Know my thoughts. Try me. 
See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I am completely yours. Read the psalm again and you can see. You can fully trust him (laughs) to have completely your life. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Thank you for these moments together. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.